I'm very excited to be a part of the Converged Network of Churches. It's an amazing multicultural uh, network of churches that have planted uh, in the Midwest area between Illinois and Indiana and uh, Missouri, right in the center here. We've planted uh, over 100 churches in the last 10 years. And Heartland, personally, uh, have, we've started uh, five churches, and we've sent people out, and we've supported that. And Heartland, uh, this church started when Larie and I came here just... Um, well, 12 years ago, just kind of drove in with the contents of our van. We didn't have any members or any money or anything, but we just had this dream to be a part of something and, and to see God work through our lives and transform a, a city. And now God is reaching out even beyond uh, us and into other communities down in the city of Indianapolis. And our latest uh, church plant, one that just started in the last year, is a church called the River Church, and it's in a community called Lapel. How many of you know where Lapel is? All right? Okay. Well, the River Church just started on the Pell. I have Tyson and Lynn Priest here today. They're the pastor. Would you welcome Tyson and Lynn as they come on? Lynn, come on up with us. <laughs> and Tyson and Lynn planted the River Church. They uh, just had a... Uh, they came across our path here at Heartland. I started talking to them and encouraging them, and he told me his dream to reach his, his hometown, and uh, he went back there, and today uh, the River Church is reaching about 10% of the community. That's incredible impact in the city of LaPel. so we're excited about what God's doing there. Tyson. Thanks, Darren. We are very excited to be here. First and form, foremost, I just want to thank Heartland Church for making so much of this possible. You guys are an amazing church. Pastor Darren's been an amazing encourager and supporter through all of this. So thank you so much. I first just want to say that God has blessed what we're doing, and he's given us the opportunity to reach so many people for Christ. We This last Easter did an Easter egg drop at the high school, and we were able to reach um, over 700 people, which is almost it's 50, almost 50% 50 wow. of the town. Um, and so that was amazing. And we've seen people come to Christ throughout all of Madison County. Right. If you're interested in our church, you can go online. It's theriverlapel.com, or you can look us up on Facebook. But we're so blessed to be a part the of theriverlapel.com. So if you know people in Lapel or you're from there, whatever, get together with these guys and help them. But, you know, they're just a one of, a, of, of many church planters that we support and encourage. And this assessment center that's happening here this week, we've got over seven couples just like them that are going through. Mike and Jen Michaleski over here. What's amazing about that? <laughs> What's amazing about Mike and Jen was, was that when uh, a few years back, seven years ago, uh, Jen dragged Mike to church and he's going, the guy's got one shot. I don't want to listen to, you know, a church or anything like that. They had their children in the daycare. You know, and when we came here, I remember uh, just asking God, how do we serve the families of this community? And I'd never run a daycare before, but I found an owner of a building and asked him if he'd let us lease it. And we started this daycare, reaching out to families and uh, Mike and Jen came through that. It wasn't a short time later that Mike and Jen accepted Christ. They started following him, and they've had a major transformation. Jesus Christ has changed their lives, and so now they are going to be going through this assessment center. They feel the call of their life to go into full-time ministry. It's just amazing what God is doing, and in the last... Uh, 12 years, over 1,200 people have been baptized and have found faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ, right here through this church. So let's just give God praise for that. That's amazing. Thank these guys. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. 
You know, uh, who would have known that just a few years ago when we were leasing this building, I mean, literally, we just started off with a handful of people, but I told you a few uh, weeks ago that uh, God was going to give us the opportunity to buy this building. And last year, I said, guys, in the middle of this economic uh, recession, wouldn't it be great if God gave us the opportunity to, to purchase this, all the ministry that's going on here, let's make it a permanent home for all of that. And uh, listen to what happened. In the last year, we're coming to the end of our fiscal year, the people of this church gave 25% more, 24 point something percent more than what was budgeted in the normal budget. That's amazing. Can you even imagine that? No, you didn't even, you didn't even hear me. <laughs> Apparently not. This should be like a, come on, you guys, is it nine o'clock or can you like, that's incredible. You guys are 24 point something percent more than what we budgeted. And on top of that, I talked about it like five times and I said, let's set aside a million dollars so that we can purchase this building. And the elders, the people, they thought, Darren, you're crazy. People are already giving so much. And you know what? In about six months, all of that money came in. And on Friday, we closed on this building. This building belongs to us. It's just, <laughs> just amazing. So I get only God, only God could do that. I don't take any credit. I mean, it's just beyond, you know, the Bible says, you know, it's beyond what we can ask or imagine. This is like beyond and beyond. This is beyond what we ever thought. So God has just blessed us. And what's even more amazing to me is that all of that is happening with about 25% of our congregation giving. I didn't realize that until recently our new treasurer just came in and said, hey, take a look at these statistics. And I went, wow, look at the opportunity that we have. If we're doing all of this and it's just, you know, a quarter of us, what happens when everybody gets involved and starts to give? And you don't know the joy. I'm telling you this not out of need or out of pressure. I'm telling you, you don't know the joy of being a part of a great move of God and seeing people come to Christ. And I invite you in. And of course, we've got this opportunity to, to start paying this mortgage now. It's about $15,000 more than what we were paying before a month. That's because we still have to pay taxes for a year and a half in Indiana. That's how it works. Do you know this? Commercial taxes are a year and a half in arrears, so we'll have to pay that for a while. So I'm asking everybody just to jump in. If you're not giving now, now's the time to be a part of this. Let's raise up and meet this challenge and uh, do this together. Can we do that? We've never missed it before. It's been above and beyond. And you can give online today. You can just give right from your mobile device, or you can put it in the box on the way back or during the week. But let's everybody give generously to the Lord, bringing our tithe, because uh, God will take your 90% and make it even go beyond what you can even ask or imagine. This church tithes and gives away more than 10% of its money, which is why God continues to bless us in the way that he has. I'm convinced it's not because of me or anything else. It's because we're a conduit of blessing. People like Tyson and Lynn and all the churches that we've supported and you know that because of today, because of all this generosity, we are seeing people in church today across our services and across the churches we've planted, more than 2,500 people will be in church this morning. So it's just an amazing, amazing thing. So God bless you for all of that. Let's just give him praise one more time. Would you open up your Bibles? I want to read to you a passage of scripture from the book of Mark, Mark the the second gospel, if you don't know where Mark is, find the New Testament and go one book over. Mark, Matthew, Mark, chapter one. And I want to read to you Jesus' very first words when he started preaching. Mark doesn't start his gospel with a baby in a manger. He doesn't start with a stable. He simply starts with Jesus as the grown adult man coming under the anointing of God's Holy Spirit, coming to preach his message. He came to be baptized and these are the very words from his first sermon in verse 14. Look at this. Now, oops, where are we here? 
Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were ordinary people. These guys were just ordinary. In fact, they were uneducated. If you couldn't go to school or rabbinical school, you just ended up working in the family business. And Galilee is like the poorest region of the poorest province of the Roman Empire. These were ordinary people. And he says, "Uh, leave your nets, come after me and I will make you become fishers of men. There was a very historic football game many years ago, and a famous coach named Vince Lombardi at halftime, he looked at those men in the locker room because they were down 62 points, 62 points at the half, 62 to zero, and he reached over and picked up a football, and he picked up a helmet, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. Gentlemen, This is a helmet. Gentlemen, these are shoulder pads. And he took them right back to the basics. And it's almost like he had to reset the switch to say, guys, do you even understand what we're doing? Those guys came out of that locker room so motivated that in one of the most famous victories of all time in all football history, they won that game. It's uh, the, the Packers came back and it's one of the most memorable victories in all of football history. Every so often when things are not working, And when things are stuck and when something has stopped, you have to hit the reset button. There was a Christian researcher named Ed Stetzer who just this week sent out this message that of all of the people who claim to be followers of Jesus, one half of people who claim to be followers of Jesus have not invited one person to church in the last six months. So it's time to hit the reset switch. It's time for us to refocus again on what is important and who are we. I mean, what is the gospel of Jesus? I want to hit reset on what is the gospel, and I want to hit reset next week on what is the church. I mean, if somebody asked you, you know, what's the good news of Jesus Christ? We know gospel means good news, but what does it mean? What would you say? Would it be complicated for you? Would you be able to explain the simple, powerful gospel of Jesus? That's what I want to talk about today. Are you ready for this? All right? You might want to write some of this steps down so you know how to explain it to somebody else when they ask. Let's go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just speak to us this morning and give us conviction. Help us to believe. And Lord, help every person to follow. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about a man by the name of Ron Aarons. Ron Aarons sits in a, or sat in a wheelchair in the front section of the HSE campus for the last two years. Ron's about 75 years old. Ron, at the age of 28, was working, a young, strapping young man working on a roof, stepped backwards onto a skylight accidentally. The skylight collapsed, and he fell through, and he broke his back, and he was paralyzed, and he was going to be like that the rest of his life. While in the hospital, paralyzed, his young wife came in, put the wedding ring on the side of the bed, and said, I'm not going to be able to waste my life with someone who's paralyzed, and walked out on him. Dejected and rejected and facing the idea of being paralyzed for the rest of his life, uh, Ron began to reach out to God. He'd heard about God when he was a child, but he'd never followed, never really believed But in that hospital room, Ron began to call in the name of the Lord, and God met him, and Jesus Christ changed his life. Something happened on the inside of Ron, and he was never the same. 
In fact, God put a hope in him that his life was not over, that God still had a purpose for him, and that he was going to be useful. Ron went out of that hospital and went to school, got into real estate, formed his own company, employed all kinds of people, ended up very successful, a very generous man, ended up living, uh, buying this huge big boat on Lake Michigan, 45-foot, sleeps 10 people boat, and he would drive that boat all over Lake Michigan, Nothing would stop him. When Ron started coming to this church, I was lifted up. He was one of the most encouraging people I have ever met. Not once did I ever talk to him that he didn't encourage me. I thought that I would be trying to encourage him, and he would say words of blessing and encouragement, and he was so happy. On Friday, I heard he was in the hospital, and he was very sick and about to die, and I went to visit him. And I talked with him for a good you know, two hours or so, and he talked to me about the goodness of God in his life. And he just praised God for every blessing. He said, I want you to bring a message back to all the people of Heartland. And he said to, to tell you that whether you're seven years old or 70, don't feel sorry for me. I have lived an abundant, blessed life. God has been so good to me and my family, and I just want to praise him. And then he went on to talk about how he longed to see Jesus' face and how he couldn't wait to see his Savior's face. As we prayed, he literally said, Lord, I don't think any of the pictures I've ever seen look like you. <laughs> I can't wait to see you. And I didn't say goodbye to him. I said, Ron, I'm saying see you later. I'm not saying goodbye to you. And he says, I know what you mean. See you later, pastor. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope that death may be the end of a body, but death is not the end of you because you were made by God and for God, and you're made to last forever. And the Bible says that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And that by believing in him, we would have life in his name. Jesus said, I came to give you life, eternal life, but life more abundantly. This morning at 4.06 a.m., Ron slipped into the hands of Jesus, and he met his Lord and Savior. But Ron might have been paralyzed in his body, but he was not paralyzed on the inside. He was a more free man than many I've ever met who have full use of their limbs and their body. What is it that happened to him in that uh, hospital room so many years ago that altered the course of his life and made him a great blessing to others? Because there are so many people who are so paralyzed and they're so stuck uh, just simply because life doesn't go the way that they want. They're overcome by their problems, that they feel like they've been hurt so badly that they'll never be able to love again. They feel that they've been hurt and they can't forgive, or they feel like they're, they'll never have the marriage that, that they want to have, or they'll never become what God wants them to become. They'll never be able to achieve or to do the things that they've dreamed of doing, and they stay stuck and paralyzed. This is the message of the gospel, that, that God will show up, and when he shows up, he changes everything. This is exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew's gospel when he announced his mission and he announced what the good news would be. He said, this is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, he's not just talking about heaven. It's not just a place. The kingdom of God is anywhere God's authority comes. The kingdom of God is when God is allowed to take over and when he's allowed to rule and when he's allowed to run things. And so he began to say, the kingdom of God is here. Anything's possible. God God is going to show up. God is going to arrive. That whatever problems you've had, God has heard your cries. God is going to make what is wrong right. He's going to turn things around. Everything is going to change. And it was a message of hope, and people caught on to that. Everything is going to change. It was a vision of God not only giving eternal life in the future, 
that their souls would be made right with God, but that they would have life and have it abundantly, that God could actually intervene and do something about their situation. Then he says a word that was very strange to hear. God is about to change everything, so you change. You change. Repent. Repent doesn't mean just talk to God and ask, uh, tell him that you're sorry. Repent means literally a 180. Turn from the way that you're living. Stop living the way that you're living. Stop doing the things that you've been doing. Uh, start following me. Why did he say to repent? Well, because every one of us has this, I don't know, this thing on the inside that basically says, you know, I'll decide what's right for me. Everybody has it. Everybody has made themselves God in their own eyes at some point or another where we've said, I know what is right and I'm going to do what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me any different. You see, sin isn't just a list of all these things that we should do or shouldn't do. Long before it gets to the action, there's a heart issue that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care what anybody says. This is what I feel is right. And so God says, if I'm going to come and change the world, if my kingdom is going to come, if, if my will is going to be done, if I'm going to set up and change this world, change starts with you. So repent, because if you don't repent, you're going to miss it. It'll pass you by. That little voice that says, follow. Very hard to listen to when we're feeling like we know what's right for us. Let me explain what that looks like. Yesterday was a beautiful day outside. I decided I was going to ride my bike. I shouldn't have been riding my bike. My bike, the brakes don't work. <laughs> but I thought to myself, you know, I've, I've been riding for 20 years. I've never wiped out. I've never fallen. I've never had any issues. And you know what? It's a beautiful day. And I heard this little voice say, this is not a good idea. So how many of you know what I did anyway? I got on that bike and I decided I'm going to go on the back roads, I'll go out by the farms, and I did. I drove out, it was gorgeous, it was beautiful, I'm riding my bike and there's the happy fields with the cows and it's just beautiful. Back behind the neighborhoods, I'm driving up by that hospital over there on exit 10 and back by the neighborhoods and it was a gorgeous day. I'm just cruising along, drove by Pastor Jeffrey Johnson's house, you know, and I said, God bless him, love that man, bless his services today, I'm happy, I keep driving, I'm coming back towards the hospital and there's all that new construction up there, you know, where they're building that new hospital. And I was looking at it, and I was not looking at the road where I was going, because I was looking, you know, I was distracted. And my front wheel went off the pavement. There's about a four-inch drop, and then there was all this gravel, and my front wheel went off, and I went in the gravel. And I'm clipping along, and this is bad. It's not going good. I start fishtailing, and I put on the brakes. <laughs> But there's no brakes, and so I tried to like do something, so I tried to hop it back up onto the road, and when I tried to hop it, it's jammed onto the side of that curb, and I went flying over the top and skidded across the road just as another car was coming. And the only thing I could think of at that moment was, dear God, I hope that's not Jeffrey Johnson. <laughs> you know, or the next thought was, gosh, I hope it's not one of you. Like, you know, I didn't want anybody getting into that car going like, pastor, what's that? I just, I didn't want to see him. This guy slams on his brakes, and he gets out. Are you okay? And I'm like, just go. I'm all right. Good. Go, go. You know, I don't want to talk to you. I'm embarrassed. You know, what is it about us where we know what is right, and we just say to ourselves, I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do. You know, the scriptures say there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it just leads to death. It leads to our own destruction. We think it's right. Well, every person has this, and every person is, is, is resisting God in some way. And so God says, listen, the soul that resists me will die. The soul that sins, uh, you know, will, 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 will perish. The wages of sin is ultimately death. 
Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the mark of God's standard of perfection. You say, well, I haven't murdered anybody or killed anybody or done anything really bad. Yeah, but every one of us has done so many of those things where we've stiff-armed God when he's whispered to us to do something or just uh, not behave in a certain way and we've just ignored him that all of us have accumulated this, this black load. So even if you just sin like two or three times a day, at the end of a year, it's like a thousand, you know, and by, by two years or 20 years or 50 years, you've accumulated this weight and somehow we know the gravity of the weight that's that's there between us and God and that's why many people don't pray they don't want to talk to God they resist anything that has to do with the Lord because deep down they just know something is not right between me and God and so the word comes out you've got to repent you've got to change the direction of your life and you need to believe and I just want to read some scriptures that maybe you haven't heard before that just sort of express God's heart for people because God loves people and all he's ever wanted them to is just believe him he just wants people to believe in the beginning he just said you know believe me this is the way to life and that way is the way to death and people went you know what we're going to do what we want to do and they believed a lie All he's ever wanted people to do is to simply trust him because experience is a very cruel teacher. None of you want your children to learn everything by experience. You would say, just believe me. I know what's best for you. But somehow we don't think that God feels the same way about us. Believe, he says. Listen to some of these verses. It says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? And the signs that I performed among them, how long will they not believe? This is God's heart. He's just saying, you know, why in the world? Because you put God in this awful dilemma. God loves people, but he hates sin. And as the judge, he has to judge sin. And so there's a verse that says, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. That's one side of God. And the other side is, but he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the truth and repent and turn to him. And so it's like being in the courtroom and, you know, you've got the list of things stacked against you and the judge is up there on the seat and you look up and it's your dad and there's tears rolling down his face. He's saying, how could you put me in this position? I have to do my job. I have to, I have to uphold the law, but, but I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want to punish you. I don't want to see you uh, pay the price. See, this is God's heart. He just wants people, just, just believe me. I made you. I know what's best for you. I want to lead you along the best pathway towards your life. Deuteronomy chapter 1, for all that God did, people did not believe the Lord your God. Or in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 23, when he led them right up to the promised land at a place called Kadesh Barnea, that's the border of the promised land, and he said, go possess the land which I have given you, but then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. The only reason we ever rebel against God is because we just don't believe him. We just don't believe what he says. John three sixteen, the most famous verse in the Bible, says uh, in verse uh, 12, if I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, he's talking about his death on the cross, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And here's the verse 16 that you all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, listen, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world would be saved. He who believes is not condemned. 
Listen to this. He who believes will not face judgment. Jesus Christ will subst- has substituted his life for yours. He who believes will not be condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. He has not believed in the only name, in the, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And in verse 36 of that same chapter, he says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will remain on him. So he says, repent and believe that Jesus Christ died to save you. Repent and believe that God came down and took, off, took himself out of the seat of judgment and came and sat in the seat of the accused and said, you go ahead and go free. I'll pay the penalty for your sin. And on the cross, he received what we deserve so that we would not receive what we did deserve. And it was this amazing gift of God, not by our works so that none of us could boast about how good we are. It is by grace that we are saved. It's not of ourselves. It's through faith. It's the gift of God. There's a great verse in the book of Romans that says that if we confess our sins with our mouth, he is able to forgive us and cleanse us of every unrighteousness. Or verse 9 where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto salvation and with the mouth confession is, or unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And the scriptures say, whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. There's no distinction. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what your background is. All who call upon him, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. It's this incredible gift of God to anyone who believes. But how can I say I believe and then just keep on going the way I've been going? How can I believe without repentance, without a change of direction, which is why he gave the third verb in that great gospel presentation. Believe, uh, repent and believe. And then he said, follow me. Follow me. Leave the path that you're on. Leave your nets. Leave what's comfortable for you. And follow me. Walk with me. And this is the part that's going to affect many of you today. There's a verse in the Bible that says in 1 John 5.13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have, notice, eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Notice uh, the first part was that you may know, I write these things to those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may have eternal life, and that those of you who continue to believe, you'd have life in his name. He's talking about eternal life, and he's talking about abundant life. For those of you who believe on Jesus Christ, God forgives your sin and gives you eternal life. But only if, as you continue to believe, do you experience the abundant life. And some of you say, you know what, I believed in Jesus, you know, all my life, 20 years ago. But what, what is he saying to you today? What is the last word that he said to you? There are believers who have believed in Jesus and trusted them for their their salvation, but there are places in their life where they still don't believe God. And any place in your life where you are not believing in God and believing in the power of the gospel, you are not experiencing the abundant life. You understand that Jesus said, I am the first and I am the last. I am the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, which means that he gives us eternal life, but he really wants to give us abundant life as well. And what was, what's the last word that he said to you, or does he have the last word in your life? 
It's not enough to just believe him for salvation. Does he have the last word when it comes to whether you say married or not? Or whether or not you engage in behavior that he says is not right. Whether you look at pornography, whether you, you choose not to tithe or bring him, bring him the tithe to the Lord. Does he have the last word in your life? If you say, well, you know, Jesus has the right to forgive me, but he doesn't have the right to say anything else to me. What is the last word that he's spoken to you? You know, I've been in the ministry for 20 years now. And where I see people struggle the most in, a, in just a few areas is, one of them is just baptism. One of them is like, I believe God to save me and forgive me, but they just struggle with the idea of coming up and publicly saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I don't even understand that. Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, if you make it public, and you believe in your heart, God will save you. I don't understand why people don't follow and just do what Christ says. It's so hard, but it's going to be embarrassing. I'll get wet. Jesus died on a cross for you and suffered and bled and, and died. And, and, and now he says, come follow me. And he says, be baptized, every one of you. I don't know why people don't do that, but it's hard. It's a stronghold. Another stronghold is in the area of finances. People have a very hard time taking God at his word and just believing when he says, if you, if you tithe, if you live on 90%, God will bless you more than if you try to live on 100% without the blessing of God. It's that simple. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So giving is a heart issue. It's not about your money. God doesn't need it. God is after your heart. But this is why it's such a stronghold. I have such a hard time giving my whole heart to God. You know, I don't even understand the arguments, too, when people say, well, that's the Old Testament, or they talk about the storehouse or whatever. The issue is, is they don't believe God's word. The issue is simply, you know, test me. Uh, see if I won't uh, rebuke the devourer and pour out blessing upon you that you can't contain if you do what I say. It's that simple, but we just don't believe. The issue is not tithing. The issue is not believing God at his word, that he's going to do what he says. Or how about the other, the biggest area, which is just in marriage? People have a hard time, people who even believe in Jesus have a very hard time believing what he says about marriage because they say things like, you know, Darren, I just don't love anymore or I can't forgive or whatever it is that they say. And you want to say, well, wait a second, does God, can God do anything? Yes, he can. Can God save your marriage? I don't know about that. And the great resistance comes up. And you know what? Here's the thing. If you would believe and you'd humble yourself and you'd say, Lord Jesus, you direct me. I want to follow. I'll humble myself before you. I'll forgive and I'll trust you. You do a miracle in my marriage. God will do a miracle in your marriage. You can fall in love all over again, for the, even for the first time. God can change every human heart. There's no heart that's too hard for God if a person just simply says, Lord, I'll be humble before you. People have a very hard time in these areas, which goes to show we believe in God, but we are not believing him for the abundant life. And so Craig Rochelle in his book called Christian Atheist, where basically he talks about people who believe in God but act like he doesn't exist, he identifies three categories of believers. And I just want to end with this today. The first category of believer is the person who just believes in God enough to benefit from it. Like 94% of Americans say they believe in God. So I want to be on his good side. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want good health. I want him to bless me. I want to, I want to be happy. You know, but that's where it ends. It's as if God exists for them instead of them existing for God. I don't want God really telling me what to do. And, and really, as long as God fits my standard of what's fair and what is right, then I'll be okay with that. God's good. But let God do something that I can't understand or I don't see or don't agree, and I'm angry and I'm mad and I go off. 
I don't understand that. You know what? There's a lot of people who have begun to question that in their own hearts. And they say, you know, maybe, maybe what I say I believe is not match up in any way uh, with how I live my life. I mean, when, when Ed Stetzer writes that statistic about half of all Christians not inviting one person uh, to hear the gospel uh, in six months, you know, something's wrong. We begin to understand that we say that we believe the Bible and that people uh, who believe in Christ are saved from their sins. And for those who, who do not believe, the wrath of God remains on them. And our hearts don't break at that. And we don't adjust our lives. Or we, there's no prayer life to speak of. In fact, we're consumed with our life, with, with our own materialism, and we just worry so much. In fact, Jesus said, don't worry. And, and we act like that's breathing <laughs> to most of us. And so, you know, Believing only at the level of benefit. But then there's a second level of believing, which is believing at the benefit uh, with a, uh, of comfortable contribution. Like, I believe enough not only just to benefit, but I want to contribute, but to the degree I'm comfortable. I'll, I'll say yes, God, to you. I'm willing to help. I'm willing to serve. But, you know, so long as it doesn't get too fanatical or too radical or it doesn't disturb the way I live like the rich man in Matthew chapter 19 who came to Jesus and said you know I'll follow you but he only would follow to the degree that it wouldn't cost him anything the second category of believers is people who believe in Christ and his gospel enough to contribute comfortably as long as it doesn't hurt too much and maybe you'd say, Darren, you know, if I really belonged to Christ, if I really trusted him with my whole life, I would move uh, and do whatever he said. But you know what? I'm so comfortable with where I am. I'm happy, and that's where I am right now. There is one more level, and it's who Jesus was speaking to in this passage when he says, repent and believe. And he says, follow me. And it says that they left their nets, and they gave Jesus their whole life. And they said, Lord, you have our whole lives. Whatever you want from us, we will follow you. We will become your disciples. We will become your followers. Think about what that word disciple means. We will walk with you and learn from you and we'll say yes to whatever you say. He says, if you do that, that's what I'm talking about. I, if you will follow me, if you'll obey me, if you'll leave what's what you just think is comfortable and familiar, and you'll say, I'm ready to give my whole life to Jesus Christ. And if you do this, he said, you won't even recognize yourself a few years from now. A few years from now, I'll have you, you'll be so different, you won't even think the same way. You won't even recognize yourself. I'll give you life and life more abundantly. I'll use you in the lives of people. You'll never be the same. You'll impact people. Those guys had no idea what Christ would do with their lives and how he would transform them. And so the question is today, do you believe? And have you repented? Or are you willing to repent? And are you willing to say, yes, God, you can have my whole life? You know, the only sin that's unforgivable is the sin of hardening your heart towards God. When you harden your heart towards the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, I don't want that, the voice of the Holy Spirit gets quieter and quieter and quieter over time. And you run the risk of one day not even be able, being able to hear the voice of God anymore because you've stiff-armed him so long. And if there's no conviction, there's no repentance. And if there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. And if there's no forgiveness, there's no chance of eternal life, let alone the abundant life. So the message of the gospel is this. Now is the time. The kingdom of God is here. It's today. Today is the acceptable day of salvation. Hear his voice and respond. Say yes to God today because you don't know if the opportunity will come again. And say, Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins. I turn my back on my life. 
I will listen to you and I'll follow you from this day forward. I hope that's you today. I want to pray for you right now. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? Are you ready to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are God. You died on a cross for me. If you say, I know that's true, I believe that's true, say, yes, God, that's me in your heart. God, I'm sorry for living my life my way. I'm sorry for resisting you. I'm sorry for just doing whatever I want, acting like I'm God, for stiff-arming you for the most of my life, just doing whatever I say. God, I, I, I have a rebellious heart. I'm a sinner in my heart, and I know it. Yes, God, that's me. And if you'll say, I'm ready, I'm ready to follow. I'm scared to death. I don't know what that all means, but I give my life to Jesus Christ today. I'm ready to follow him and do whatever he says, no matter what. Will you do one more thing? Will you confess, not only in your heart, but would you confess, in a sense, with your mouth? Will you just slip your hand up all over this room, just real quietly, and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, while no one's looking around. Just say, yes, God, that's me. Yes, I see that. Yep, yep, all over. Yes, 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 yes. Jesus Christ, you see every person who says, I'm willing to follow you. Maybe someone who wanted to, but they weren't sure what they were getting into yet. I pray that you'd speak to them and help them. May they still be willing to follow you all the days of their life. I pray that we would believe and understand and know the power of your gospel, that anything can change. Change starts with us, and so we should follow you. I ask this in Jesus' name. God bless every one of you. Take this to heart and keep coming back. I love every one of you. Isn't it exciting? His mercies are new every morning.